week 68 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Run like you're seven points down, America. I know it looks good right now, but run like you're seven points down. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the vote. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. It's very, very easy to get complacent. When you look at the polls, and it shows Joe Biden, I mean, some polls have about 14 points. They have Trump down to 34%. His approval, his average approval, according to 538.com, which I highly encourage you all to read every day, has the president under 40% for the first time since 2018. Is, um, it's low, very low. Uh, but again, the election map and the math associated with said map does not necessarily mean that the president needs to get to 50%. The president needs to get to about 44% for this to be competitive. That's how he won the last time. Remember, Hillary Clinton got 46% in the last election. Donald Trump got 44% and Donald Trump won. So don't get complacent. Right now, Biden's got, you know, steadily a nine-point lead in the national average of polls. That goes down to five points. It's a real race. Now, when we look at these swing states across the country, you know, the numbers are good. Uh, Florida, uh, Donald Trump is losing badly in Florida, and that is pretty consistent amongst polling. He is tight in states like Texas. He's losing in North Carolina and Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. He's losing in Arizona. Uh, It's a three-point race in Alaska. Alaska. I, I for one, think that this is going to be an election that Donald Trump loses badly. Um, I don't think it's going to quite be um, Mondale 84, but it could be Carter 80, um, which was a pretty bad loss for an incumbent president. I, but that said, look, anything can happen between now and then. We know he's going to pull out all the stops, right? We know he's going to try to cheat. We know he's going to try to distract you from COVID-19 by sending troops to American cities and making riots happen. I, I think he's manufacturing these riots by placing these thugs there. And I call them thugs. I don't want anybody to think that I'm calling all law enforcement thugs. And I know that we have to reform law enforcement in this country. But I am not calling men and women who dedicate their lives to public service thugs. 
What I am saying is the people that the president are sending to these cities, they don't appear to be trained law enforcement operatives to me. They they look to me to be rent-a-cops, security guards, glorified security guards going out there with M4 machine guns and tear gas canisters and throwing them at moms and naked women in the street. I mean, there is something very wrong going on here. And somebody's going to get seriously hurt or not, if not killed. And Donald Trump owns those deaths. I don't support vandalism. I don't support uh, violence. But there's very little of that going on. Not nearly enough to warrant the response the president is engaged in. And quite frankly, the minute those men step off of federal property, as far as I'm concerned, they're breaking the law. And when this is over, when this is behind us, when this president is gone, there needs to be an accounting for it. And I think right now, the Congress of the United States of America needs to be shutting off funding for the agencies that these men claim to work for. And I say claim to work for because I really do believe the vast majority of these people that the president are sending there are contractors. They are not employees of the federal government. So yes, when I called them jackbooted thugs on Fox and a lot of conservatives got their panties in a bunch over it, um, I was being honest. Um, there is a type of person that will go out into the streets and violate people's rights. There's a type of person that will grab you off the street and throw you into an unmarked minivan and bring you to God knows where uncharged. Even though you're just out there expressing your First Amendment rights to redress your grievances on the government. Now, I don't know what else you call those types of people. So I know some people got afraid that I, that I use that word and, and they're, they're all, oh, that's too extreme. Yeah, look. This is how it starts. Oh, we're trying to just quell this protest. Next thing you know, these guys are hanging out at the polling booths in democratic parts of town on election day, scaring people away. I don't like it. You shouldn't like it. I am wondering, you know, all of these libertarians out there, all of these libertarians on the right, the Rand Pauls of the world who got so upset about Obama using drones. And by the way, I agreed with him on that. I called out Obama's use of drones during the, the quote, war on terror, which never ended. Where's Mike Lee, this noted constitutionalist, this libertarian scholar? Where are you? Why are you not screaming bloody murder? over the misuse of executive power within the borders of this country. This is an atrocity. This is one of the worst things this president has done. Look, I said it before, okay, when he when he unleashed tear gas in Lafayette Park so that he could go, go do that ridiculous photo op in front of St. John's Church. I, for one, said it then, and I know a lot of other people did too. It's an atrocity. You know, over the last couple of days, we've been celebrating the life of John Lewis, a great American, if there ever was a great American, a man who said we should search for good trouble, get in good trouble. I'm telling you right now, it's less than 100 days to this election. We need to go out there and find some good trouble. We need to stir the pot. And I know it's hard in this COVID-19 environment for us to volunteer, for us to do anything, but you know what? There's a lot of resources out there. You could go online. You could volunteer to do phone banking within states. You could do what you can. We, we need to be doing 
everything we can between now and November to make sure that this election is won for America. We need to make sure that this president is sent packing. I, I look, I know that you're, you're listening to this podcast. You, you probably agree with me. Although there are some that, that listen to this podcast because they see me on Fox or other networks and uh, they disagree with me. And that's fine too. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're seeking out alternative points of view. But you know the stakes are high. And you know this guy is going to lie. He's going to cheat. He's going to do whatever he can. You know that sometime, here, here's my timeline. Early October, uh, Barr will say, this can't wait. I'm going to unleash a slew of indictments against Democratic politicians. You know that's going to happen sometime in early October, whether it's uh, Joe Biden's son or Joe Biden himself or President Obama or Comey, you name it, whatever, that's coming. Be ready for it. I think most Americans will say, who cares? You're a liar. We know it. And then mid-October, October 15th to the 20th, Donald Trump will start talking about the cure for COVID-19 that he helped create. You watch. Oh, oh it's coming. It's, co- it's going to be wonderful. Operation Warp Speed worked. We've got a real uh, vaccine against the virus. You know that's coming. You know he's going to say these things. Now look, 51% of Americans in poll after poll after poll after poll after poll will not vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance. They know he is bad and he cannot lead us out of this problem. We got to make sure they get out. We got to make sure they vote. Voting is going to be difficult for a lot of people this year. More difficult, I think, than it has ever been in the modern times of politics in this country. Not just for people of color who the Republican Party has made it difficult for them and many white Americans refuse to acknowledge that. It's going to be difficult for everyone to vote this year. And you know that the president is going to make a big deal out of the numbers of absentees. You know that on election night, he's going to take whatever the tally is on election day and run with it. You know it. The next 100 days and then the 20 or 30 days thereafter that it takes for us to truly tally the vote and certify this election are going to be hell in this country. We got a man in the White House that is hell bent on doing whatever it takes not to be seen as a loser. Not because he wants to do anything great in his second term. Reporter after reporter has asked him, what are your plans for the second term? He has no plan for his second term. He didn't have a plan for his first term. He doesn't have a plan for this week. He acts on gut, which is why this virus is spiraling out of control. He's not doing it because he's got a plan. He wants to run for a second term so that he doesn't view himself as a loser. So that when he goes to Bedminster, his country club, he's not booed. Look, he can never come back to New York. Okay, he's never going to come back to New York. Never going to go to the 21 club and have people stand and give him a standing ovation. Not going to happen anymore. He, his, the life that he once had in this city, being this kind of uh, bon vivant, I guess. I don't know what you, man about town. Yeah, that's over for him. That is completely over for him. Now all he has is this bloodlust to win, and he will do whatever it takes. So yeah, the numbers look great right now. They look great. If you're Joe Biden, great. But there's only two ways to run 
unopposed, or scared. And I, for one, am scared. Um, look, you know I know I think this is going to be a, a victory for Democrats, but I am just scared. And I want us all to be scared. I want us to run scared. Because we're not unopposed. There's a guy in the White House that will do whatever it takes. He will lie. He will cheat. He will steal. He will do whatever it takes. He'll start a war. He's starting a war within his own country right now, America. Understand this. He is trying to wag the dog in this election by sending troops to American cities. To American cities. That's his wag the dog. Yeah, I called them jackbooted thugs. So what? Prove to me who they are, and I'll stop calling them jackbooted thugs. Have them put on badges and name tags so we can identify them and know their chain of command. Oh, they're feeling... No, I am not cursing out all law enforcement, and I am surely not cursing out the military. Let me explain something to you, military. Everybody who's listening, and I know I got a lot of military members who, 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 uh, who listen to my show because I am a big supporter of the military, men and women who serve. The charity I most support is Building Homes for Heroes. You all know that. The President of the United States doesn't care about our men and women in armed services. He doesn't care about them at all. Uh, he's had several calls with Putin over the last couple of, couple of weeks. Has not talked about the bounties that Putin is putting on our troops in Afghanistan. Okay? He doesn't care. So, yeah, I called guys dressing up like soldiers. And that's what they're doing. They're dressing up like soldiers. And they're going into American cities to quell peaceful protests against the will of the governors and mayors of those cities. But they're not military men. So don't even think for a second, don't ever accuse me of bad-mouthing our military. They're doing something I wouldn't do. I couldn't do. They are brave beyond compare, and I love them. We should all love them. Now, I don't, I don't approve of the wars that... Certain presidents have started over the years. I think that we should be very judicious in what we do with these men and women willing to put their lives on the line for America and our ideals. But let me tell you something. They are not fighting wars so that Donald Trump can quell peaceful protests in America. That's not what they're doing. They fight wars for the ideals that America stands for. They join the army because they believe in the promise of America to be a force for good in the world. And Donald Trump is taking that away from them. I know I'm on a rant here and I got a lot. I got a great show for you tonight. It's the return of the mooch. Anthony Scaramucci, uh, backed by popular demand. A lot of you have emailed me. Uh, and, and said, you love that Mooch interview a couple of months ago. Can you have him back? And I said, yeah, why not? I, I love talking to Anthony Scaramucci. You know, he's to the right of me, of course. Um, I'm to the left of him, but we're two guys from Long Island who know how to talk. And I think that if, if Mooch and I had an opportunity to solve the world problems, we would, we would solve them greatly. Uh, so it's a good interview and, and thank you again for sharing this podcast with your friends. I'm having a week after week. The numbers keep going up. Keep sharing. Go to, you know, tweet at me at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Go to ChristopherHahn.com, but share this podcast. We're growing every week uh, and I really do appreciate it. But get ready, man. This is going to be a wild. I know I say it every week. Wild ride. All right. Hang out. I got the mooch and then I'll be back to wrap it up. Back 
by popular demand, Anthony Scaramucci spent, what, 10 days as communication director for the president of the United States, Donald Trump, and has been repenting ever since. How are you, Anthony? Well, I'm doing great. I just want to I want to set the scene for you. Uh, three years ago at this time, I was the White House communications director for this raving lunatic. So you got to <laughs> just think about that for a second. OK, I started on July 21st. They fired me on July 31st. So that looks like 10 days if you're doing math. Right. Count the days. It's like eight days, really, right? Because you started late in the day on on the 21st. Oh, my God. God. You're beautiful. You're like my union leader when I was a kid, you know, shoveling stone on the stone dock in Long Island. Yeah. No, it's it's 11 days. 11 days. In fact, even Mr. Trump himself, when he was blasting me and calling me an unstable nut job last summer, when I said, okay, I had enough, I have to disavow my support of the guy, he was calling me an unstable nut job, but he did recognize me for being there for 11 days. Yeah, 11 so days. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you. Let me start. Yeah, that last day was a big day. I got fired. <laughs> it was a tough day. Let me ask you this question. How yeah. many Scaramucci's do you think that this new, I don't even want to say new tone because that's so played, like this right. new Donald Trump's going to last? How many How many Scaramucci's? Let's call I, it. Uh, if you watch them today, I thought it's already over. I mean, so that would be one. <laughs> there were two 11s. If a Scaramucci is 11 days, or you could also call it a Kanye West now if you want to, but yeah. but it, it, it's basically, you know, I, I would give this thing another forty-eight hours. Forty-eight hours. At the, at the end of the day, he is a stage performer. Yes. Okay? Let's not, uh, you know, be demonizing. Let's be objective about him. Let's evaluate him for exactly what he is. He's a stage performer. That's it. He doesn't have the intellectual curiosity to be president. He can't manage his way out of a paper bag. Yeah. He has no idea what the word loyalty means. People say that he's loyal. He's the furthest thing from loyal that you could possibly imagine. I mean, he, he would roll. Remember when they backed over that Soprano gangster in the uh, service station and they, like, smashed his head like a cantaloupe? Yep. Trump would Trump would do that to everybody in his path. Yeah. He could care. He could care less. When you are, when he's done with you, he hits you with the bus and he moves on. That's why he's having such a hard time right now. Because he's destroyed so many natural allies. Yeah. Look at these Lincoln Project guys. Okay, they 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 maul him every day. Every day he's Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie where he won the Oscar and got mauled by the bear. Yeah. Right. Every day he wakes up in the morning. The Lincoln Project's there to just rip him to pieces. They are. They are ripping. Oh, they they are. I think they're, they're playing for. They're playing for an audience of one. I think that their main objective is to, to troll this guy and get him off his game. And they have. They've knocked him off his game. He's stumbling and bumbling. He's talking about pictures and TVs and, yeah. you know, cognitive. I mean, who who on God's earth who was super confident about their cognitive <laughs> ability right. would be talking like that? You, you, you know, or who, who on God's earth would even be recognizing a criticism like that if they were actually not in cognitive decline, right? So just... Just remember, the president is a great projector. So whatever he's laying out there on his critics, he sort of feels that way about himself. There is a comedian on Twitter. Um, her name is Sarah Cooper. I don't know if you follow yeah, yeah. her, but she yeah, is yeah. doing these. She did the 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 Trump cognitive interview that he had with Fox yesterday, and I got to tell you, I literally was crying watching her do it. It was no, so- I, I I watch. I, I she's riveting, but I'm also. 
her facial expressions, it's almost eerie because you're like, that's what's likely going on inside the Trump brain. Yeah. Whatever's left of the brain. (laughs) You're like saying, he's like, that's what he's doing inside his own brain. He's like, it's like this bizarre fiasco. I mean, it's don't you think? Don't you think it's just ridiculous? This guy is basically holding up a test. Now, now we've all seen this test, right? It's like something you would give to a fourth grader. Uh, I, I don't. I, he's holding it up. I, 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 I did very good. Got harder. They get harder. The questions get harder. I, I, I mean, give me a break. It's crazy. Well, Chris, the question I have is: everyone says, "Okay, well, look at the poll numbers; are really bad." They're, you know, he's down to thirty-six percent. I'm like. Who are these people? Yeah. Who are the 36% that are making an objective clinical evaluation of what is going on? And so now what they would say, or some of them say to me, well, I don't like Joe Biden or I don't like Democrats. They're trying to blame the uh, street warfare that's going on in some of these cities on the Democrats. Yeah, crazy. Uh, and, and And then they would say that there's a culture war. And that Bill Barr and Donald Trump are the last two white men standing mm. to protect them from this cultural revolution that's about to take place. I, so, I actually so. had a theory, and I, I was talking about you earlier in the show, and how you've evolved, right? You, there was a point in time where you liked Donald Trump. You, you thought he could do good things, but you've learned new information, and now you don't. A lot of people like that, at least professionally. I find well, that in the age of social media, people are less likely to accept new information and then change their mind about it because they think that that people know and I, I was trying to hold you up I'm like you've got hundreds of thousands of followers on twitter you you're known you're more popular than me i mean you're, you're well known uh and you have evolved you've changed I'm, I'm your mind i'm more po- i'm definitely not more popular than you but what i would tell my kids and i've got five of them is you have to have neuroplasticity there was a liberal on one of the radio shows was blasting me they're basically like, well, he said this racial slur here, and he did this in 2015, and that in 2016, and so he hasn't changed. And so why all of a sudden did you switch your gears on him? I said, well, he may not have changed, but you know what, Chris? I have changed. Right. I have become more psychologically minded. I've become more psychologically aware. The country has changed. Yeah. When you see somebody's knee on another person's neck, and you're watching eight minutes and 46 seconds yeah. by where the life is being choked out of somebody. I don't care what the criminal record was. I don't care what the relationship was with the police officer where someone is indiscriminately being murdered on the street while other men and women are watching. Okay, that is a seismically changing event. Yeah. You talk about social media, you know, you know, maybe people are stuck in the mud on social media afraid to change, but when you see stuff like that, passed around to billions of people on social media, you're like, okay, you know what? Enough is enough. And then the same thing sort of happened after the, uh, you know, the bridge incident in Selma, you know, the American people said, Hey, you know what? This is not right. This is terrible. What yep. people are doing, let's cut it out. So, so maybe the good news is we will change. Maybe the social media will make us more aware. And I can tell you for myself, that life experience, the Shawshank redemption experience for me going through that white house, trying to work with him, getting unceremoniously fired like that, yeah. brutally humiliated in the media. Uh, and you may or may not remember this. Uh, you know, my wife and I were having personal problems yeah. at the time. She had filed for divorce. Yep. And then I got a big oppo drop after Priebus got uh, uh, fired. They dropped all this bad stuff about me in the New York Post. Uh, but here I am three years later. I figured out a way to reconcile my marriage. 
My son was born while I was in the White House. I was at the Boy Scouts event in West Virginia. Yep. And so even though my wife and I were fighting, I couldn't get back to New York. There was a 60-mile no-fly zone around the uh, uh, the plane. Yep. I mean, it was a, it was a catastrophe. Horrible. Day. But here I am. Here I am. Tomorrow is my son's third birthday. Uh, and I'm here, and I'm going to be serving him birthday cake, and I've reconciled my marriage. Thank, got my, thank God. My career back. Thank God right. for that. Three years ago, right about now, you were at one of the lowest points in your life. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, I was, uh, I was, my wife had filed for divorce on me. I missed the birth of my fifth child, my fourth son, because I was stuck in the, uh, in the no fly zone area, West Virginia during the Boy Scout Jamboree right. uh, uh, with the president, um, got fired, uh, uh, from the white house lit up in the international media. And obviously when you go into politics, you get disfigured because, you know, you have opponents, they're yep. ideological opponents. And so people say, well, you know, look, you, you put the uniform on, Chris, and you get a concussion. If you're trying to catch one of Tom Brady's passes, you can't complain about the concussion. Right. So I never, never whined. About and by it. the way, you got up, you picked yourself up, dusted well, yourself off and got back in the game. I think that's the message for your listeners, uh, you know, and that's the message for people. When you're having a bad moment, think of me getting my clock cleaned at the White House, blown out after 11 days. What's the message? Dust yourself off. Pick yourself up. Be lighthearted. Don't take yourself too seriously. Live by uh, Mel Brooks's motto: "Relax. None of us are getting out of here alive." <laughs> right. You know, just sort of roll with the punches. Yeah. So it's three years later, and that experience for me, there were so many silver linings in that experience. And frankly, I don't know how well you and I would have gotten to meet each other if I hadn't gone through that. You know, Bill Maher and I are. I've become very close personal friends. We own a piece of the Mets together. Yeah, uh, I've just been able to meet and expand my, uh, you know, relationships, if you will, as a result of fumbling the football back then. Well, it's not that you fumbled. The, look, everybody could be a great guy when everything's going their way. It's how you react when you've been kicked and knocked down that that really defines who people are. It's one of the things I like about you is that. You were getting ridiculed, and then I see you show up on like the Bill Maher show. Where if you're going to get ridiculed, I mean, you know, going to air, you go right, you go right into that lion's den, and and you weren't afraid to do that, and you held your own there. And not only did you hold your own, you know, you were very honest about your opinions, which actually led to your major falling out with the president. And I think that that's the example that I take from you, and I take it from myself. I failed many times in my life. I've learned much more in my failures than I ever did in my successes. Well, listen, I mean, I think you and I are, I think you and I are very similar. We're up similar. We're scrappers. Uh, you don't want to give up. The other thing is if you got kids, you don't want your kids to see you giving up. Yep. So you got to get up off the mat no matter what. Uh, but you also, you know, I was on a, uh, a podcast or a Zoom call. Uh, there was all these college kids yesterday. And I said, okay, who got the five-year crush question right in 2015? <laughs> Meaning if I asked you in 2015, Chris, what are you going to be doing July 22nd of 2020. So where are you going to be in five years, Chris? Did you think you'd be where you are right now? No. Locked in your house in a global <laughs> pandemic? I, I would, Mid-July, late July, I'd probably be on vacation somewhere. And I, you and I were right. talking in the break. I'm supposed to be in Greece right now. It ain't happening. I was supposed to be in Paris in March. <laughs> it didn't ha- April. It didn't happen. It's horrible. Exactly. So, so my point to those kids, you're making plans. God's laughing. Yep. 
Uh, there wasn't one person on the Zoom call that got the question right uh, of where they expected to be five years from 2015. I always like to use the Mike Tyson's quote. quote. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. The best. You know, the it's, best it's whatever. And so we got to roll with the punch. And so my point to young people listening, you got a tremendous fan base with the young people. Got to roll with the punch. Make make a good, you know, joke at your own expense. Yep. Steve Colbert said to me, hey, Anthony, do you think you're going to last a long time in the White House? I said, well, I thought it was going to last longer than a car to milk in the refrigerator. I didn't think I was going to get blown out that quick. <laughs> yeah. but, but my point is, you know, you got to roll. But we got a big crisis on our hands now, though, because this guy, he doesn't have the skill set. He doesn't have the temperament. He doesn't have the personality. He's disrupted our alliances. I don't like what's going on with China. Very happy to discuss that with you if, if you'd like me to. Yep. The agitation there is too extreme. Very extreme. And and he's he's setting us up. If he got if he gets reelected, God forbid, he's setting us up for greater global harm, uh, greater destruction of the American system. Frankly, the yeah. Western system that got set up after World War II. He, we have abdicated our leadership around the globe, which is why we're in this pandemic right now. When America doesn't lead, nobody leads. There hasn't been anybody to fill that void yet. If he is reelected, somebody will fill that void, whether it's China, whether it's the EU. It won't be us leading the world anymore. We will be, we will be relegated to a former empire status. No, no, no question. I do want to draw an historical analogy. When we got back from World War One, we made a decision not to ratify the Treaty of Versailles. It was a flawed treaty. And we made a decision to go full isolationism. There was a lot of nativism in the country yep. about not fighting foreign wars. And so what happened was that lack of engagement, that lack of multilateralism, uh, you know, 20 short years later, you're in a big global conflict. And so you've got the base ingredients on the table for some rough stuff happening. Rise of populism, rise of nationalism. America first doesn't just mean America first. It's China first. It's Britain first. It's uh, France first. You, you get the picture. And yeah. all of a sudden, all of that hard work and energy that we put into peace and prosperity dematerializes. And what we need to remind people is peace and prosperity is not the expectation. If you study human history, conflict has been the expectation. It takes a lot of work and discipline and it takes a lot of process in relationship growth and development to create peace and prosperity. And we are taking it for granted, Chris. Yeah. If we, and if we do that for much longer, it's going to it's going to lead to a serious crisis. And that's the, the health. And that's the stakes. Right. I mean, that's part. I mean, look, we obviously have domestic stakes with this virus ravaging the country right now. But the international stakes are equally as high. And I, I don't know that most Americans understand that. Yeah, well, I, well, listen, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't agree. I could not agree with you more. And, 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 but the president doesn't understand. If you sat with the president, you know, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. I'm on the campaign plane with him. We're flying somewhere and we're talking about the Middle East. And I bring up the Sykes-Picot Treaty, which is the treaty of the British, French, and Ottoman Empire leaving during World War One. Yep. And that treaty basically just screwed up all the borders there. It's created conflicts all over the place, and so I'm. I don't look at him. He has no idea what the treaty is. That's fine. A lot of Americans don't, and so then I have to. I have to switch gears. I start talking about Lawrence of Arabia with Peter O'Toole, 
<laughs> Once I do that, now he's engaged. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah, it's horrible. All right. Guy that you, can, you know, and the minute you start talking to him in a way that's lecturing, like, uh, he glazes general. over. Still talking to my good friend, Anthony Scaramucci, a guy who's evolved. And uh, we're talking about that evolution. We're talking about the election coming up and the stakes couldn't be higher. And we were talking about Donald Trump just not be, you really can't hold a conversation with him of any substance. Yeah, no, it's difficult. I mean, he the only way to brief him, if you've got something you're going to put in front of him, you better have pictures of him in the thing that you're briefing him with. Hmm. And so, you know, every time we had to go do a briefing in the campaign, it was like, okay, get some really good pictures of him. You can't take pictures of him from the side because it's a little unflattering. Yeah. Weight gain. <laughs> you got to take pictures of him straight up. You know, try to get days. By the way, I'm starting I'm starting to get that way, too, because well, we I, I've been quarantining with a guy named Ben and, and his buddy Jerry. And uh, they make a hell of an ice cream. That's all I have to say. <laughs> They're not a sponsor or anything, although I would like them to sponsor me. And I might be willing to work out a barter situation. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, you got to worry about COVID-19. And then you got to worry about the COVID-19, which is like the freshman 50. When I tell you I have run every day since December 31st, 2018, I have not missed oh, a so day cool. of running. That's I'm awesome. But I'm still gaining weight during this during this crisis. It's crazy. Yeah, it's great. I want look. I I hear you, man. I'm I'm. We're all in that same boat. But but the the point being is that you got to get you got to get pictures of him straight on. You got to make sure the orange uh, tanning solution he's using doesn't look that bad in the picture. Yeah. And then he'll look at the thing that you're showing him. And so is that how we should be running the country? I mean, it's one of the greatest countries, if not the greatest country ever created. The grand 244 year experiment. Uh. We've got peace and prosperity. And people like you and I are living arcs of the American dream. Yep. And we've built so much great technology in this country and transformed the world with our innovation, ingenuity, and creativity. Should we be briefing the president with uh, funny pictures of himself? Yeah, picture PowerPoint books. Yeah, it's crazy. What are we doing? Uh, it's... It's the fact that we are, we've got 36% of the people that are still saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm I'm voting for him. Okay. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't I don't... make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And... I I mean, I don't know that you're going to change that 36%. Maybe you're going to get 3% of them to drop off. But I, I think his his base is about 33% of this country. I think that's probably the low. Well, and and, and I I get it because there's a culture war going on. You you know, you 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 know, you have to remember these baby boomers have gone after each other for a very very long period of time. Yeah. So now you have this culture war going on. So I get that part of it as well. I I see it. You know, but 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 listen, I mean, you know, hopefully the vice president will do some really smart, transformative, postpartisan things when he makes it to the presidency. I think he will. I think that's who he is. And there'll be people that will say, oh, well, you know, Trump was behind in 2016 and he came on and won the presidency. Remember, he lost popular vote. That bothers him in a way that you can't imagine. And he won the Electoral College by a sliver. Yeah. The magnitude of what's going on in these polls and the changing of the methodology in these polls since 2016, this is a very steep climb. I'll just point out to all the listeners, your sentiment numbers are horrific. His voting numbers of women above the age of 50, he's got a 28% gender gap now, Chris. It's crazy. And and you've got 51% of the people... Well, if uh, if uh, is there anything I could do to make you vote for Donald Trump? And no. they say no under no circumstances. 
okay, well, I'm going to roll you, I'm going to skin you alive and roll you in salt unless you vote for Donald Trump. No, I'm good under no circumstances. Yeah. Point being, that's very tough to come back from. You know, it's, none of those numbers look like that in 2016. It's horrible. And look, here's here's what I know about the media, having been in it for 11 years now. Um, they will try to find a narrative at some point during this election. I feel like it's coming like next week or two. Oh, the polls are narrowing. You know, when 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 you know, when it gets to be like a seven point instead of a nine point race nationally, all the polls are narrowing, even though today we saw a Quinnipiac poll, a very good poll out of the state of Florida, which Trump won by what, six points where he was down 13. I mean, yeah. You know, but the media will try to find the, mar- the narrative to keep this a race because the media's job is to get you to watch more media. It's not to protect democracy, even though that's what the Constitution no, says it is. Listen, I, I, I totally get all that. And, and, but, but just think about what happened. Uh, not going to protect you from COVID-19. Yep. Uh, he, put, he put pressure on, the, on, the, on Governor DeSantis, who's one of his acolytes. They, they don't protect. They don't understand the the computational math of a virus and the way it compounds. So when it's slowly starting, they're getting in front of microphones saying, see, you were wrong about Florida. We're not going to be New York. Yep. Now it's raging down there, and you're killing people that are in Trump's voting base. Florida's catching up to New York. I mean, Florida's going to pass exactly. New York in two weeks. The cases, the cases are out of control. And so the point is, I don't think it's good for you if you're killing your voting base. Right. That helps you win the election. I also think that when a good percentage of your voting base is over the age of 65 and you're acting like you don't care if they live or die, they tend to not want to vote for you anymore. Yeah, there you go. So there's there's the sentiment issue. So we'll have to see what happens. But I'm hoping that uh, the vice president is a transformative figure. He takes the chill at age 78 and says, "Okay, look, we got to heal the country. So we're going to have a give and take here as opposed to this continuation of the tribal warfare. And that's, by the way, another thing, another problem for his reelection. His whole campaign right now has been that the vice president is old, even though right. he's only two years older than him. Now, I know Donald Trump wears a spray tan and dyes his hair and has a wife that's way too young for him, uh, but that doesn't make him young. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I got all that if- but he's trying to present himself as more energetic. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is Joe Biden is in way better shape than him. I don't know if you saw that poll that I think the, the Barstool Sports guys put out. But it was like, you know, who, who could win in a wrestling or a boxing right. You know, I mean, you know, Joe Biden was way ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, way, come on, look at the two of them. I mean, Joe Biden's fit. You know, you know he's an older guy, but he's fit. And, yeah, uh, exactly. and it is what it is. I mean, they're both old. I would have rather had a younger person run for president, but on both tickets. But this but, is what we got. I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah, I want to see more Gen Xers run for office. Anita, Anita Dunn, the campaign manager for Joe Biden, did say something to me, though, that I think resonates with me. Had he not won his elder statesman status, his 40 years as an establishment politician, eight years as vice president, she really thinks that he can build a broad-based coalition and rein in the moderates and the independents to dislodge the president. I think had somebody so. With less, had somebody with less experience on that stage won the primary, it may may not may or may not yeah, have been as successful. There was no alternative to Joe Biden that could have brought that coalition together. I agree with you there. All right. I think if you and I were in office right now, we would have solved all these problems like a year ago. Uh, well, amen. Well, certainly we would have tried, right? We wouldn't have sat there and stared at each other and then yelled at each other. We certainly would have tried. I mean, that's the problem. I think 
one of the positives about the Trump experience is he's knocked a lot of ideology out of practical people. Oh, totally. At the end of the day, people are like, okay, whoa, 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 forget about left and right. What's right and wrong for the country? Okay, yeah. Stop the left and right nonsense. And I think you do a great job of that, by the way, on the show, and you get guests on the show to think like that, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I want to I fix the country. And I'm not, I, mean, I want to overstate my importance. I'm going to say it that way, but I mean, I want to be part of the solution. But I don't need it to be overly ideological where you feel people are left out everywhere. You know, let's knit the country back together. I think there's a, there's a phenomenal irony to President Trump. He is bringing us together, but he just happens to be bringing us together against him. It's amazing. Unifying us against him. So, so that's the weird thing about it. You've got Republicans for Joe Biden. You've got conservatives for Joe Biden. You have George Will. Yeah. Christopher, you have George. You, you, you've got George Will and Bernie Joe Sanders Biden. in the same coalition. Talk about a big tent. <laughs> right? Exactly. That's my point. So the president was very successful in bringing the country together to oppose him. It's funny. The, the best irony. thing I think about this president the lasting legacy for me, if, of course, he loses, which I, I think he's going to. I will never look at a Republican straight again if they tell me about the national debt. This guy has increased, yeah. even before this crisis, the national debt was being increased and tripled and whatever by Republicans with complete control of Republicans. There's a woman, I don't know if you've ever read Stephanie Kelton. Um, yeah, I had her on my podcast, actually, my Salt Talk conference. She's a She's a university professor out here. At Stony Brook. Deficit myth. Yes, and my, my daughter and her daughter are actually friends at school. They go to school together. And oh, I've had her on my show, and I've, I've read her stuff. And, you know, five years ago, I would have thought, that's pretty radical. Now I look at it as, she's right on the money. And when we come out of this presidency, and we're going to be in this horrible fiscal and healthcare fiasco that this guy has left us, we're going to need to issue more debt. And you know that Republicans are going to find religion on debt the minute the Democrats are in, in power. And you know what? I'm going to laugh at them. And I hope everybody in this country laughs at them. Well, well, yeah, but I, I think, I mean, and, you know, listen, I love Stephanie, best-selling book, The Deficit Myth. And I think she's saying something in the book that you can really push conservatives back with. And I happen to be a conservative. But where you push conservatives back with is, hey, wait a minute, you're already doing what she's writing about in the book. You just printed $3 yeah. trillion. Right. Okay, and it didn't have any impact on inflation, and it's it's actually improving the society and raising living standards the way John Maynard Keynes has suggested. And Stephanie makes the point in the book, if you're controlling the currency, then you're not broke, because in one keystroke on your computer, you could print the $23 trillion. Exactly. There'll be a, there'll be a conservative out there that would say, well... That's going crazy. You'll create too much inflation. I, I'll I'll accept that argument. She even writes in the book that deficits do matter, but they are containable and controllable, and they can help your quality of life. Let me just make this point: you've got a huge amount of borrowing over the last hundred years since the 1929 depression. Yep. And yet, this has been the greatest economic prosperity in the history of mankind. So, anyway, you you and I are in the same camp. Yeah. That. She definitely moved me intellectually uh, it, to that zip code. It, to me, makes these conservatives just look like obstructionists at this point. Like, and, and that's what, look, I know that there's going to be a few of them left when this is over. They're not all going to be gone. I, I'm hoping that my boss, Chuck Schumer, is the majority leader of the United States Senate. I'm pretty sure he will be. But there'll be 47 Republicans there, um, you know, and, and there'll be somebody running for president. 
on the Republican ticket, you know, a year into Joe Biden's administration, I'm sure. And they will be talking about the debt. That will be their thing because Joe Biden's going to have to issue a lot of debt to save this country in January. And they're issuing debt right now. I mean, they're, de- they're debating whether they should do $1 trillion or $3 trillion in debt right now after already doing $3 trillion in debt this year. Right. Well, I think they need to do it. And so as an economist, you know, I think it's get very necessary. We can figure it out longer term and, and, and figure out a way to manage it. But but you're bringing up an interesting point. And, but I will say this. Trump has really hurt that party. Yeah. Trump has closed the tent of that party. You want to talk about expanding the tent of a party, opening it up demographically. We've done none of that for that party. There's a wonderful, very colorful and diverse mosaic that makes up America. Yeah. It can't just be a certain sect of America demographically uh, that's in the Republican Party. You have to figure out a way to open that tent. I think they're going to disappear. I think there's got to be a different party. I think you you can't have this party anymore, right? Maybe, or you get somebody radical and entrepreneurial that hits the reset button and galvanizes a movement. You know, you, you know, that could also happen, you know, I mean, because there's people starving for leadership, practical leadership. So, you know, you know, but, but you're, you're right. I look at some of these guys and, and listen, you know, you know, you pick them, the acolytes of Trump that have been ridiculously wackadoodly loyal to him after, you know, blasting away at him. And I I wrote a funny op-ed last year, I said, welcome, John Bolton, to life under the Trump bus. Right. Basically said, you start out hating him, then you try to like him, and then you you draw the same conclusion that me and Governor Romney or Senator Romney have drawn. The guy's nuts, can't like him. And everybody's going through that. You know, at the top of the arc right now is Lindsey Graham. He's the worst. Governor, Governor Nikki Haley, uh, Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz. Ron know, DeSantis. Dan yeah, Patrick. At the top of that arc. They yeah. all know, though, when they hang up the phone and they're talking to them, like, okay, the guy's nuts. Why am I selling my soul to this guy? You know, and so when they get to the reckoning day, it'll be very interesting. They all think that they're going to be the torch carrier for Trump's base. Right. But I, I think that base is a personality cult. I do, too. Once, you know, the Arya Stark here that's going to kill off the Night King is Joe Biden. Once that Night King is taken <laughs> out... All of those zombies dematerialized. You just gave away Game of Thrones to everybody who has never watched it. Please (laughs) fast forward through. Don't blame me. Send all your letters to Anthony Scaramucci, please. That's uh, 10 years of Game of Thrones I just gave away. Yeah, I mean, what if if there are people listening right now that are like on season six? (laughs) Game of of Thrones, Chris, is so yesterday, my man. I'm telling you, they're they're already onto something else on HBO. But the point, the point I'm making is I think these guys are really miscalculating. They're like saying, okay, let me chum up this Trump, be one of his sycophants. I'm going to take a piece of his base into 2024. I don't think that's going to happen. I yeah. think it's going to be a transformational process in that party. I Look, I believe that you need two parties. I believe you need two sets of ideas competing for the hearts and minds of this country and trying to figure things out. No question. I, I believe in that. I mean, I've always been left of center, and I've always fought for my progressive values, but I I do respect a good compromise, right? Having led a county, having been in a situation where I've had to govern, I think you could get some good ideas from people who don't necessarily have the same experiences and and mindset as as you, and then make things better as a result. I think that's what the founders wanted. They wanted incremental change. 
No question. And what they also wanted was compromise. They weren't expecting you to come to the table and say, hey, I need 110%, Chris. I'm sorry. You and your constituents, you get 0%. Right. They, they, they were looking for you to make that compromise, and you wanted, they wanted the grind process upward through compromise. Yeah, it is. want this nonsense. It is total insanity. All right, I'm running out of time. I got like 30 seconds left with you. I got to plug away for you here. What do you want people to know? Where can they find you? What do you got coming up? Well, I'd like to invite you on, actually, to my salt talks. You know, I've, I had Richard House on, the president of uh, Council. You had General Kelly on. I'll, General, I had I'll, General Kelly on. I'll come on anytime you want. Elton. Okay, so I'm going to book you. I think we'll have a great time. Uh, and we get, you know, we get a, a great audience and we get audience participation. So yes, go to salt.org and learn about our program. We get academics. I got Brad Thor, the best-selling author of the spy novelist. I had Daniel Silva last week. And so we, we book a very eclectic mix of people. Awesome. And hopefully, uh, sometime in August, we'll have a gentleman by the name of Chris Hunt. You got it. I'm not going anywhere, so <laughs> it's not like I got anything else to do. I won't be in Europe. I won't be traveling the country. I'll be here doing radio, so no problemo, my friend. All right, that's the mooch. Sorry for the rough edits. Him and I just start talking, and the conversation flows, and then the breaks need to happen on my radio show because I'm on a syndicating clock. Stay where you are. I'll be right back to wrap it up. You know what I like about the mooch? And even those Lincoln Project people and Mark Hoover, who we've had on, they're not dug in. They evolve. I evolve. I think that the, I've said this before, one of the biggest problems we have in this country is nobody evolves. Nobody ever wants to admit that they were wrong anymore. We're all, we put stuff out on social media or, you know, maybe you you do a podcast that 10 people listen to and then you don't ever want to change your mind and i think that look this is a guy who failed spectacularly as trump's comms director and was supporting trump was very supportive of trump but has seen the light and now he's telling the truth as he sees it which is all we could ask of any american and i think that people need to evolve and i think that you know he's i like talking to him um two guys from long island having a conversation i really do think that there needs to be more conversations. Like We don't agree on policy, I'm sure, on a lot of things. But I'd be able to work out a deal with him. Look, when I worked in Congress, we worked out deals. When I worked in the legislature, when I worked for the county in Nassau County, we worked out deals. We got things done with people we didn't agree with. I mean, I, I get it. It's a long time ago now, but it's not that long ago. It's like 10, 15 years ago. I see people working things out in governments around this country who don't agree with each other. I don't know why. we. I think we're going to get back to that. I think that when Trump is gone and there's a real reckoning in the Republican Party, um, you know, I think you're going to see some realignment. You're going to see people who want to govern coming into office. I hope anyway. I got God, I hope. I really, really do hope. Because we've had enough of this nonsense, enough of this my way or the highway politics, enough of this we can't compromise about anything. I want it all. And by the way, it's not just conservatives that do that. Progressives do that too. There's a lot of that, a lot of purity tests going on uh, in, our, in, in, in progressive circles too. That's a lot of nonsense too. And I know that when Trump is gone, there's going to be a war within the Democratic Party too, between the far left and the center left. I mean, you, you mean to tell me that 
Nancy Pelosi's not progressive enough for some people. That just drives me nuts. These people have been fighting these battles for generations. And I get it. There are a new generation of people that want to change the world. You know, the millennials. I'm a Gen Xer. I know a lot of Gen Xers listen to this politics. And we're kind of stuck in the middle between the baby boomers who won't leave. And and yeah, I get it. A lot of them got to leave now. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And then the millennials who want to run everything right now. I'm sorry. Get some experience, then run things. Although I did like that show, The Politician. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Pretty good. I highly recommend it uh, on Netflix. It's the guy who was the lead um, in that musical on Broadway, which name is escaping me right now, that I saw. Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, I didn't see him in it, uh, but I did see the the next generation of that cast, and I heard him on the soundtrack. My daughter loves the soundtrack. Um it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. If you haven't binged that yet, binge it. I am almost done with the last dance. Uh, and then I think I'm going to re-engage the man in the high castle. Everybody tells me it's great. So um, I think I'm going to re-engage on that. I hope everybody's staying safe. I hope everybody knows that this too shall pass. I hope we're all working hard towards the same goals of staying healthy but also being active in our battle to take back this country, Uh, not from any political party, but from an ideology that values stupidity and gut logic over science and facts. I mean, this is where we've got to go, right? And I know a lot of smart people that for some reason still support this guy, and it makes me question how smart they really are sometimes. I don't get it. People who work in science who work in fact, and then they see this guy who completely ignores him. They don't care. I don't understand how people can't care. The reason why this president's losing now in Florida is because he completely screwed up coronavirus and it's ravaging Florida. And Florida has a lot of people over the age of 65. About 25% of their voting population is over the age of 65. And this guy said he doesn't care if they live or die. That's how they hear it. I'll open up the government, open up the, open up the, uh, the economy. Let's, who cares? Tell them to stay home for the rest of their lives. It's crazy. We got to run like we're seven points down because he's going to pull out every stop, try every trick to try to win. Nobody get complacent. This is far from over. It's only just begun. We're inside 100 days. It's time to get to work, America. All right. I want to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I am. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.